Hello and welcome to Still Any Good, the podcast where we run the risk of ruining our childhoods by revisiting fondly remembered films. My friends, you know me to be neither rash nor impulsive. I'm not given to wild, unsupported statements. And I tell you, we must begin this podcast immediately. Sorry, I, I came over all jor for a moment there. <laughs> I'm Robert Johnson, and of course, I'm joined by Chris Webb. Chris, how are you? Hello. That last bit sounded like a line from Last Tango in Paris. Last Tango in Krypton. <laughs> I, I came over all jor <laughs> <laughs> uh, Any margarine um, <laughs> required there? <laughs> well, I couldn't believe it wasn't butter. Anyway, hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm, good. I'm very good, actually. I've got some quite exciting news. Oh, let's hear it. Yeah, well, it won't be mean anything to our listeners, but it may mean something to you because I'm moving back to Hawke's Bay. Yeah, Does so this I'll... mean we can record yeah. in the same room again? Well, the same garage, yeah. Oh, you'll always be welcome. You'll always be welcome in my garage. Fantastic. I hope there's room in there for me. <laughs> oh, I, I can kick a few bikes in the barbecue aside. That'll be fine. Brilliant. brilliant That's yet. brilliant. Looking forward to it. Anyway, as I like to say these days, I don't think yeah. we're alone. <laughs> aren't we we have a very super person with us today oh great who, who is it well he's been on before and the fool that he is he's come back for a sequel we've got simon london <laughs> hello simon hello good morning evening boys good, good morning good <laughs> yes good morning indeed <laughs> hello hello how are you yeah, very well, thank you. It's good to see you in your sheds slash offices and looking so well, so fit and healthy after a global pandemic. Thank you. Same to you. you look, you've got a very um, rugged handsomeness, if I might be so bold to say. Please be bold, Robert. Please. <laughs> <laughs> be my guest. Thank you very much. You're looking like Idris Elba's stunt double at the moment. <laughs> oh, God, I'll take that. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I will be updating all my social media profiles. <laughs> Yeah. With that one, yeah, that's good. <laughs> Slightly unshaven, but looks good, like good. Idris Elba's stunt double. Maybe if he's in a, an action movie where they throw, like, you know, a body off a, a cliff or something, you could be the, <laughs> the floppy. Or maybe if they remake Charlie and the Chocolate Factory again and he's playing an Oompa Loompa, then... Because uh, <laughs> oh. I, I think I'm half his size, but... Yeah. Um, now that is some interesting casting. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Yeah, got aged out of Bond, but not being an umpalumpa. He didn't really want to be Bond, though, did he? I mean, it's just a great thing that actors can keep on yeah. banging on about, and it yeah. keeps him in the public eye, and everyone gets excited. Idris Elba wouldn't know what to do if he was Bond. It would be a nightmare for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they're talking about that um, Regé Jean Page now, who was wonderful in um, Bridgerton. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, well I'm, look, my partner made me watch it, and <laughs> after episode two, I was all in. <laughs> I don't think it was the stunts that he was handling that everyone was talking about. But oh, anyway, yeah, um, I think that Jamie Bell or Nick Holt mm. would be a yep. good James wow. Bond. Just to get sidetracked a little, yeah. I think that there are some roles yeah. that you cannot recast I would say that Shaft is one of those, yeah, yeah, and yeah. Bond is one of those. Yeah. And yeah. if you want to go all colourblind casting, which yeah. is great, and yeah. you know David Copperfield that they did a yeah. couple of years yeah. ago was brilliant. 
then that's something completely different. But I, I don't see a world in which you would suddenly have a female or a black James Bond. You might have a female or black 007 and rewrite all the back history as mm. to how you earn the license to kill. But I can't see the actual James Bond being changed at all. Well, I've always maintained that James Bond is actually a, right, a white supremacist character anyway. <laughs> so that's been my sort of reason for that view. But it is um, good fun winding up the people who get offended by the suggestion. That's true. Right, yeah. it, it, like. it is. It is. It good. is. It's always, it's just really good. When, when people do say that, you just say to them, well, what about M? Judy Dench. She's a woman. <laughs> they recast that, so shut up. But, but I do feel, I do feel as I'm doing that and watching them frothing at the mouth, I yeah. do feel yeah. that I'm sort of arguing from a point of view that I don't really believe in. Get somebody to go and write some other great black characters. Yeah, you know, exactly. Luther that Idris Elba plays is great, and the way that Tom Cruise has taken Ethan Hunt, mm. which oh, you could yeah. argue yeah. Ethan Hunt is probably better than the Bond series yeah. if you put them both films yeah. together. Oh, definitely. In definitely. Times. At the moment, it is. Yeah, for the last ten years, it has been. Yeah. Yeah. So come on, somebody go and write a great character for Idris Elba. We'd all watch it. I wouldn't want it to be Bond, and I can't see it ever being Bond. Yeah. Yeah, no. mm. that's a shame because yeah, you, you'd have had the little stunt double job there. You'd have had a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. A lot of action. In those <laughs> they just would have brought you in for six scenes. Yeah, right? but in, the, <laughs> in the long shots, in the long shots of the perspective looked good, and yeah, yeah, I would have happily done Idris Elba's uh, sex scenes, <laughs> not with him. I'm I hate to add. <laughs> you don't look like Kate Winslet. <laughs> You would have done all those cunning stunts, I'm sure. I certainly would. <laughs> anyway, what a great little segue that was. Yeah, that was good. Yeah. <laughs> it was. So being our guest, Simon, mm. it was your choice. Yes. What are we having this evening? Or this morning? We are having Superman the movie. From a doomed planet in a distant galaxy to a fantastic underground hideaway. From the fortress of solitude to the bustling city room of the Daily Planet. Look, up on the screen, it's Superman. Superman, the movie. The 1978 movie uh, starring Marlon Brando, Gene Hackman, Christopher Reeve. I've, I've said all the actors in, in the order in which they appear yeah. on yeah. screen, yeah. which is very... Yeah very weird and this came about because one evening i posted just a very short scene from superman on twitter which went viral and i was making the point that no actor who has played superman since christopher reeve mm. has captured the duality of the role and that is that one part of the role is to play this American Boy Scout, this larger-than-life, goody-two-shoes superhero. And the other part of the role is to play this bumbling, doofus, mild-mannered klutz. Mm. And Christopher Reeve, watching it again, there should have been a few Oscar nods in mm. those performances, mm -hmm. I think. Mm. Hugh Grant always says this. Hugh Grant says that comedy is overlooked, is often overlooked, and it's incredibly difficult to do. And the straight acting bit is easy. And I never really agreed with that. But as I've got older and watched more films, 
I think that he has a really valid point. Watching these films again, because I watch both of them, because we'll get onto it, the chequered history of Superman 2, you kind mm. of have to watch Superman 1 and sort of take in Superman 2 together. I'm inclined to agree with him. Doing that sort of comedy and that sort of physical comedy and understated slapstick is really, really an art, and Christopher Reeve sort of nailed it. Yeah, absolutely. And what, what was the scene that you posted? It was the one in the mirror? It's the scene where he's just taken Lois Lane flying around the city. He puts her back on her New York apartment, penthouse apartment, because obviously any journalist has Mm. a a penthouse in New York. Apartments are cheaper in Metropolis. Yes, Um. oh, of course, of course, (laughs) yes. New, New York, oh, (laughs) different housing market (laughs) so he drops her off at the um at her apartment and they have a little conversation and then he sort of turns on his red booty heel and flies off into the night and sort of slightly banks to the left there's no there's no cutaway camera there's no cutaway at all and lois lane i think she says um what a Superman. Mm. He does. Superman. And as she walks back in, still with no cut in the camera, we hear a frantic knocking at the door and a voice saying, Lois, Lois. And she remembers that she's agreed to go out with Clark that night. And she walks to the door, still no cut in camera, opens the door and uh, Clark Kent is there and he's all befuddled and he's all upset and hey we've got a date tonight and then he admonishes her and he says what's wrong with you your head's in the clouds and and all the rest of it and in that one scene we've seen Christopher Reeve be Superman and then he flies around the corner cleverly no cutaway and comes in as Clark Kent and I just say that scene is the essence of Christopher Reeve's portrayal of both characters you know Henry Cavill for all his beefcakeness and there certainly is a man who looks like a beefcake he just does not play Clark Kent Mm. as anybody other than Superman in a tweed jacket I watched um the Zack Snyder Justice League again the other day and um when they bring Superman back to life and he's a Clark he's just wandering around like Superman in in a suit anyway I posted that clip and everybody went mad for it. I think it sort of had about 5,000 um, likes and 200 replies with people going, yeah, yeah, this was really important to me and this was what made Christopher Reeve my Superman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think the most extraordinary thing about that scene is after he comes in and he's being all Clark and he's being a little bit clumsy, Lois goes to get her mm-hmm. coat or something and he takes his yeah. glasses off and he gives her this loving look and his face, everything about him, completely changes he doesn't even look Mm. like the same person I know that's the old joke about oh you Mm. can tell it's him all he's done is take his glasses off but he looks completely different and he unhunches he sort of he sort of extends by about three or four inches as well like I, I think that scene is phenomenal. I, I, I rewound I it and watched but, it again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's incredible. I think that scene yeah. is amazing. No, it's really good. Well, it's interesting throughout the film, when the film gets to the point where he goes to Metropolis and he joins mm-hmm. the Daily Planet, mm-hmm. this happens a lot mm-hmm. in the first movie and even more in the second, is he walks through saying morning and hello to people and he's completely mm-hmm. invisible. He's this... Yep six foot four big physical man but he manages as you say with that hunched look and that slightly 
rabbit in the headlights look everybody it's a bustling newspaper and nobody notices him and in fact the first time he meets Lois and they walk out of the office people are saying hi to her and he's sort of saying oh hello as well and they are walking past him this in some cases sort of almost brushing mm. him with their shoulders and it shouldn't work as you say Chris but it does yeah. he's his physicality in that role makes him we've all known people like that sort of the guy in the office who when somebody says their name, you're mm. like, oh, that guy. And he's managed to do that really well. Mm. Yeah. I don't know if this is unique for a superhero, but the secret costume is the Clark Kent outfit. That's the old Kill Bill 2 speech. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it is the Kill Bill 2 speech. Yeah, thank you, Rob. <laughs> I knew I'd seen it somewhere. <laughs> is that Quentin Tarantino who says that Superman dresses as Clark Kent because that's how he sees us? Yeah. Uh, that's his critique of humans as cowardly, bumbling fools. And that's, yeah, that's why he has that persona. But it's an amazing film. The effects, going back to the premise of your podcast, still any good? Well, you look at those effects and those effects are almost sort of like when we were kids and our parents tried to show us stop motion type, the, the Ray Harryhausen effects. We know that there are special effects taking place where today for the generation that comes after us these effects are seamless however there is something within the way the effects are done that when there isn't sort of this big black line around mm. superman that has been put on a soft rear projected background the way that he takes off and the way that he lands is so graceful it's so brilliantly mm. done in some cases even that first night scene where he gets changed in the revolving door. They've kind of got this black pimp guy. He goes, say, Jim. <laughs> and he says, excuse me. Yeah. And then just flies up in the air. <laughs> yeah. That's a great scene. I mean, the Superman first night scene anyway is brilliant, but you are watching it going, God, they've done this really well. Yeah. Really well. Just yeah. the, I mean, the way that they even divide the, the film into those three clear sort of different segments, you know, that sci-fi section on, on Krypton with the trippy visuals. And I actually think the effects, while you can see that there's sort of, there is artifice there, I think there's a beauty to them that holds up. It's almost sort of like Art Deco on acid or something that looks really dazzling and, and stunning. Yeah, every now and again, like you say, the bit of a shimmery line or something, but I, I was astounded at how well the effects Held up. And then, up. And then the, yeah. you know, the second sequence where he's, in, he's a teenager, those bright primary colours and that, those sort of vistas of rural... Yeah. John Ford yeah, treatment, the, the, isn't it? It's amazing. Well, kind of paintings and then, and then moving into that more reality-based kind of metropolis part of the movie. I just thought it had an amazing look throughout. Mm. And I, I noticed it was dedicated to the um, cinematographer who, who died that year, Jeffrey Unsworth of Space Odyssey fame yeah. and, and Cabaret and... He, he should have definitely received an Oscar nomination, I think. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The photography's mm. amazing, and it's really, mm. really impressive. Yeah, it's a beautiful-looking film, and I remember I was so lucky as a kid, for some reason, I can't remember who it was who took me. It definitely wasn't my, my mum and dad. I think it was a friend whose parents were in the business, but I got taken to the premiere in wow. Leicester Square. So I'd never been to a cinema in Leicester Square before. So it's the biggest screen I'd ever seen in my life. And the sound was absolutely amazing. And they gave you a programme, which I've still got the original programme. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. 
so 78, so nine years old, so never, ever heard of Marlon Brando before. I was a film buff, but obviously a film buff in my own little world. Sort of, I knew everything about Escape to Witch Mountain <laughs> and stuff like that. But I hadn't done that bit where you hit your teens and you start going out of your comfort zone. Again, this film is so um, such a landmark film for me. I had never heard of Marlon Brando. And the first time I saw Marlon Brando, I was like, God, this guy's amazing. This the person playing Jor-El is amazing. Now, I don't know whether it's an urban myth, but I'm sure I read it somewhere because I did that thing. You know, some kids are into sport and football teams and stats and things like that. I think after that moment, I really went into films and I would stay behind at the end of the films. You know, like yourselves, just total geeks watching <laughs> the uh, credits and seeing all oh, this lot were at Elstree and they made Star Wars yeah. and mm-hmm. Empire Strikes Back. Mm-hmm. And these guys, yeah. you sort of see all the names and things. I read somewhere that it was Marlon Brando's idea to have the S logo on Jor-El's costume and to make it like a heraldry thing, like the um, House of L suit of arms, which I thought was really clever. Now, everyone kind of knocks Brando for uh, his taking the money. And when you read the sort of round the back of the story, you know, apparently got five million quid for five days work. And then he was able to successfully sue them and get 15 million quid. And he'd, he'd managed to do a deal where he got 11 percent of the box office gross you know here's a greedy man sort of taking his bit but you know something he's almost worth every penny in that opening scene he gives the film a sense of majesty and if I'd have known who Marlon Brando was at the time as well I guess they were putting down a marker saying this is a serious Mm. film we're not going to do Superman for kids we've got the world's best actor to play the role of Superman's father. So all you people out there who know movies, this is a proper movie. That would have definitely resonated with the generation above me. But for me, I just sort of thought, God, this guy is absolutely brilliant. And it lends that whole Krypton opening a sense of the majestic that, as you say, Robert, coupled with the visuals as well, it really is a sort of special opening. John Williams's music as well is fantastic. Oh, my God. I think the main theme, that I think that is my favourite yeah. piece of music from a film. It just moves me. It really does. I think it's an amazing piece of music. It's just like buckle up on the long for the ride as soon as you hear it. And, mm. and just even the graphics and the whooshing, the whoosh, whoosh. Yes. Yeah. You, you know, it's yeah. just... That as a kid in the cinema and the way those graphics yeah. were absolutely yeah. huge. That screen was absolutely huge and the sound, that came from behind. <laughs> wow. So when I sat in the seat, as the names came up on screen, the sound mix was so good that you heard the graphics of the name come from behind mm. you and then whoosh through on the screen. Mm. I watched the film again with headphones on and it still gave me chills yeah. hearing that. So you, it was the actual UK premiere that you attended? Yes, yeah. So were there any any faces there? Did anybody turn up for it? I didn't know that. When they did the premiere in the, in the cinema, what happens is they take sort of a multiplex. You all turn up and so there's flashing light bulbs and everything else. But then they fill up cinema screens one to nine. Well, they have an overflow room or something. Yeah, so all the screens in the building are used and the film starts at different times as the actors and directors and people go and do a little talk 
in each screen. So oh. it all starts at different times. But we were lucky enough to be in the main screen. There was definitely Christopher Reeve oh. was there. Gene Hackman wow. wasn't at Marlon Brando. But Christopher Reeve was definitely there. In costume? It's <laughs> <laughs> his Clark Kent costume, yeah. In his Clark Kent costume, but I recognised him. Um, And did a little speech beforehand. I think Prince Charles was there, which I kind of was sort of more excited about at the time. But yeah, yeah, it was brilliant. brilliant. That's amazing. That's wonderful. What about you, Rob? What's your history with this film? So this came out a few years before I was born. This is the last of the Christopher Reeve Superman films that I actually got to so when i was a kid superman 3 was the one that i first encountered um much more of a comic odd film a lesser film and then from there it was the quite sad low budget quest for peace it was a canon wasn't it number four yeah yeah and i mean as a child it was still a buzz seeing superman on on the screen i just kind of dismissed it a little bit then you know i was i was the generation of tim burton's batman and then as I entered those teens we sort of start actually seeking out films that have a bit of that critical acclaim my brother was really like Superman 2 is the great one where you've got Zod and so then I saw that one next and I was like this is cool and I realized that actually these these earlier films got into the mythology of Superman more so then I eventually got to the first Superman probably in my 20s yeah, I was just absolutely blown away. I'd always kind of thought this is probably going to be too old, a bit too hokey, a bit too clunky. But instantly that opening sci-fi sequence and Marlon Brando's performance, you know, Christopher Reeve, I think in a few interviews, didn't he kind of said that Brando phoned it in and he was kind of a bit disdainful. But I don't care if he phoned it in. You know, I read also that he read his lines off the nappy of the baby Superman when he was sort of putting him in, in the ship. He, he lends a prestige and it immediately tells you, like you say, Simon, that this is a serious grown-up film. I think they're using the S as a sort of a sigil for the house and, and I know it's been copied many times since. It was a genius idea. And just even the silver here with the little forelock. I love that opening sequence. And, and Zack Snyder tried to kind of replicate that with Man of Steel by having Russell Crowe. And it was almost like a little mini sci-fi film, that opening sequence of Man of Steel. I think it's the best part of Man of Steel. It's really, really interesting. I don't like the design. I don't like the look he does for Krypton. It doesn't work for me. But having a really powerful actor in the role of Jor-El, when you're setting up this whole Christ allegory and everything, you know, it, it works really well. And so I was, I was all in. Yeah, and I was all in from the John Williams theme, so... But it took me a while to get there. So what about you, Chris? Very much like Simon, I saw it at the cinema when it came out. But unlike Simon, I saw it in a cinema in Pembrokeshire, yeah. not in Leicester yeah. <laughs> Square. Um, <laughs> and bearing in mind how long it took for movies to get to West Wales. Was, was Christopher Reeve there? He did, he turned up. Yeah, he was doing a little tour of West Wales. Yeah, he probably well, Ned Beatty probably turned up. <laughs> <laughs> So, bear in mind how long it took for films to get to West mm. Wales. It probably would have been the summer of 1979 rather than the December 78 yeah. when it was initially released. So I'd have been seven going on eight mm. when I saw it. And I remember it very, very clearly. It was a packed, albeit very small, one-screen cinema. And it was amazing. I'd seen Star Wars probably about a year before that. And that set me on a journey of wanting to go and see everything at the cinema. Luckily, my, my mum and dad were the same. There was one cinema in the town, so if there's something on, we'd go and see it. But this was just different. This 
absolutely blew me away. I remember looking at the running time the other day, and it's, what, mm. two and a half hours, something like that. And I thought, well, as a seven or eight-year-old, how did I manage to sit through that? Because it certainly didn't feel like two mm. and a half hours. And I just remember being absolutely captivated by it, going to see it. Yeah, it's interesting you say about Star Wars. Obviously, it was coming out at the same time, and the scale of it and the epic sweep of it was completely in the same way as Star Wars. And having Alec Guinness yeah. as Ben Kenobi, I guess, was their way yeah. of... Um, so Superman goes one better and gets Brando. Um, but the John Williams music and everything about it, really, really big film. And it's interesting watching it. The last film that we spoke about was Trading Places. And we said how it had dated and kind of had the sort of slightly problematic blacking up scene with Dan Aykroyd and you know you realize that it's a film that's rooted in it in the day and and it's a contemporary film it's funny that Superman doesn't have any of that there's nothing really awkward in Superman in fact the one line that jumps out for me <laughs> it's a tiny line but I just think it's really weird to have in a kids film is Lois Lane she can't oh god spell. yeah I know what you're um, I know, yeah and yeah. <laughs> She can't spell and sort of she the first thing is she's saying to somebody, how many T's in bloodletting? And he reads her copy. He says, there's only one <laughs> P in rapist. Yeah. Well, and, I, <laughs> and I remember as a kid thinking, what the hell is that? What, what, why is she written trap? rapist yeah. would that be like a, a, yeah. a what, what would a rapist yeah. be anyway and then only as i've got yeah. older and i've seen it since i say like, that's yeah. a really really non-childlike yeah. line to put in it watching it again the other night the larry hagman um <laughs> about to <laughs> stand back i wouldn't have you do what i wouldn't do yeah. <laughs> The Larry Hagman about to perform a minor sexual assault mm. on Valerie Perrin, Miss Tessmarker, she's come out of the car and she's lying there in her red dress, um, slashed to her navel with her wonderful cleavage on display. But yeah. you know something? You sort of go, it doesn't feel wrong. It's no. really, it's comedic. Mm. Now, before anybody writes into you, because I will just deny all knowledge of this and says, <laughs> how dare you boys be joking about sexual assault? It's couched in a comedy whereby just the way that Larry Hagman acts it yeah. and the way that the guys are all forced to turn around and everything else, the joke seems to be on him. Mm. It's, it's really well done. Yeah. There yeah. doesn't seem to be anything that's in that film that you kind of watch today day and find yourself cringing at mm. i don't know whether you guys agree but there was one tiny tiny instance where i thought "Ooh, how times have changed is where superman rescues the cat from a tree mm. he gives it to the little girl and she runs in the house and goes a man flew up and you hear slap and you think yes. well she's just been smacked yeah. for laughs yeah. that's the only one where i thought yeah. oh dear yeah, 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 there is that. And I remember as a kid laughing at that as well. I thought that was... <laughs> I remember thinking that was hilarious, absolutely. There is a really obvious lack of diversity, I think, in the cast. Yeah. And I mean, mm -hmm. that's... It is what it is, I guess. Except for your drive-talking pump that you um, referred to. <laughs> <laughs> it was brilliant. It is from brilliant. Plane, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> most of the criminals are white. Again... Just in the same way that when I saw Empire Strikes Back and I was like, Lando Carusian, how cool is that? Mm. They've got like this black guy in there. You know, by the time three comes along, Richard Pryor yeah. is sort of a really main character and they're still light years ahead of what's going on mm. in England in terms of casting. Yeah. The other thing that Superman has that it just about gets away with as well is it has these brilliant magical elements. So... 
in the first one when he's looking where to get changed that great moment where Lois Lane's cap falls down from the top of the Daily Planet he picks it up he does that sideways glance at the phone box Mm. and Mm. just in that tiny little look he's not going to get changed in a phone box because it's not it's not right and you could get an actor to do that a hundred times and they wouldn't catch it in the same way as um Christopher Reeve does so you're thinking, where's he going to get changed? Where's he going to get changed? And then before you know it, he's in the revolving door, as we spoke before, and he goes round and round and round, and then all of a sudden he's in the costume. So you can give that a pass because you think, oh, he's gone at super speed and yeah. taken off his costume and got on again. But then a little bit later, when Lex Luthor is trying to talk to him and is using the frequency that only dogs can hear, he kind of jumps out of a window, and as he flies down, he changes that way. You just start to get this realisation that they're putting in little bits that make Superman a little bit magic. Mm, And you have this moment, I certainly had it as a kid, whereby they'd done what a lot of the films, a lot of the superhero films are doing now, which is having this verisimilitude where they're setting them in a real world and trying to make them, you look at Nolan's Batman and Snyder's Justice League and everything else, and there's no room for that type of magic. Whereas I think those little touches make the film, which are basically kids' films, they make them slightly magical for kids. And watching it when I was older, I kind of just found myself smiling at those bits. I didn't feel cheated at all. Mm. The phone box one is great because it is a little nod to previous incarnations of Superman and the the comic books where, of course, you would traditionally get changed in a phone box. It's almost like shaking his head as if so, well, modern day, they've been replaced by (laughs) kiosks. And it's, yeah. a, yes. it's a lovely little joke that means something to one generation watching it. But yes. it doesn't really matter. It, it's not like the nods and winks that you get in films these days, which are really so obvious and so signposted. It's a very early bit of fan service, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. But, but not bashing you over the head with it. I think yeah. it's lovely. Yeah, in some ways it's an Easter egg, isn't mm. it? In a way, mm. kind of. Mm. It's, it's great. So we've talked obviously about the Krypton bit and we've talked about the Smallville bit, which as a kid I seem to think lasted a lot, lot longer Mm. than it did. There's probably only really 15 minutes of Smallville and then obviously Metropolis, which is oh so amazing. To be able to go and shoot on location in New York and I think they use, is it the New York Post or the Washington, they use the New York Post offices, they're allowed to go and shoot in there and you feel the hustle and bustle and you can pretty much smell Metropolis with New York doubling as Metropolis. Mm. Lex Luthor's lair, try saying that uh, first thing in the morning, <laughs> well, not you Rob, but after your, your bottles of wine, but Lex <laughs> Luthor's lair underneath Grand Central Station is so well done. It's really good. It's really yeah, good. That, it's amazing. That lair, what, a yeah. what a set. What a set. Yeah, I shouldn't gloss over that. Let's talk about that. You know, him telling Miss Tessmarker how many girls have a Park yeah. Avenue address <laughs> <laughs> and she's moaning, yes, but it's under the ground. Yeah, it's under yeah. the ground. Yeah, yeah. He has the library. He has the swimming pool. Again, it's a brilliant performance yeah. from Gina Hackman. If you have to talk about the superhero as the lesser actor, and you mentioned Batman, not the lesser actor, but the less famous actor. So let's equate it with Michael Keaton and Jack Nicholson. Mm. Jack Nicholson got an Oscar nod for his Joker. Gene Hackman is absolutely brilliant. This Mm. is a guy who's done Mm. the French Connection. Mm. And he's chewing up the scenery in one of the campus performances 
ever. And he really did deserve, again, a, a nod for a great performance. His Lex Luthor is, is superb. He was reluctant to do it, wasn't he? Precisely because he was worried it would affect his credibility as a serious actor. And he refused to shave his head. Right. And very nearly refused to shave his moustache. <laughs> eventually got the moustache off yeah didn't Richard Donner he basically said to Gene Hackman look I've got a moustache as well I'll shave mine off if you do so Gene Hackman shaved off his moustache and then Richard Donner said haha I was wearing a huge fake moustache and just ripped it off (laughs) brilliant yeah but I mean he is amazing apparently Jack Nicholson was um, offered the part of Lex Luthor so was George Kennedy which would have been amazing God, that would have been the strangest casting. He would have bought an airport vibe to, to the yes. whole thing. And Gene Wilder, apparently, was up for Lex Luthor. Do you know something? If you slightly close your eyes and look at that famous picture they always use of um, Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka, yeah. Yeah. and then kind of think of Gene Hackman on his library ladder, yeah. there is yeah. a similarity with the clothes and the hair. And Yeah, I could see Gene Wilder as Lex Luthor. Yeah. There's something again, though, just like Marlon Brando, there's something again about having a really, really good actor in that role. A good actor, and known for doing straight roles, doing that sense of comedy, and also taking the material seriously. Mm. You know, he's just driven by ego to Mm. be the greatest criminal mind of us. And when he explains about the kryptonite which is the amount of exposition to get that kryptonite in, but he gets away with it. He's just, he really sells it. He sells what is, um, what do we think of the script? (laughs) Look, for a 40-year-old film, and it's almost like the ur-text of of superhero cinema, isn't it? I mean, it hadn't really been done before, certainly not on, on this scale. For me, it works. I mean, it's odd because pacing-wise, it takes 45 minutes, I think, for Christopher Reeve to actually come on screen. It takes another hour before Superman and Lex Luthor actually even meet for the first time. But there's just something that organically works about the way that the story unfolds. I think it's perhaps the way that's broken up into those three particular sections of the film. Yeah. But I think also, if you take a step back, and look at the story of what actually happens in the film. Not that much actually happens. No. He goes to Earth, he grows up, he rescues some people, and he does the huge thing at the end with the missiles. And that takes two and a half hours. What I really love about the script is it's allowed to take its time. It's never rushed, but also it doesn't feel slow or plodding. I I think it's a fine script. Certainly Mm. better than it could have been. Apparently when Mario Puzo, who was initially commissioned to write the yeah. first draft of it, and he's still credited, or I think very little of his script ended up on the yeah. screen. It was a lot more slapsticky. There was like a apparently a cameo from Kojak in it. Not wow. Telly Savalas, Kojak. Right, yes. Uh, okay. and, and luckily Richard Donner threw it away. Got in David Newman and his writing partner Robert Benton and his life partner Leslie Newman, and they got yeah. together and they, they made it what it is. I think it's a fine script. I think it's good. He, he didn't try and shoehorn a scene with a decapitated horse yeah, sort of, <laughs> <laughs> well, Mario also bed. wrote Earthquake, so he's probably going down that route rather than the grandiosity of The Godfather. <laughs> so then we kind of have to talk about, so if there's anything about the film that I think divides fans or people sort of chat about a lot, it's the deus ex machina of yeah. Yeah. Superman 
finds a dead Lois Lane, which I have to say, even now, watching that scene again, Lois Lane dying in that car goes on for ages, and it's a horrible way it's to die. Horrific. And I remember in the cinema thinking, this is horrible. Yeah. You know, she's wearing a white cream suit. Her car's going down and sort of a... Crevice. What is it? A, cre- a crevice in the road. Yeah. And it's filling up with gravel and dirt, and you can see it going up her nose. I mean, Margot Kidder... Props to her for doing that scene. It looks uncomfortable, it looks horrifying, it looks claustrophobic, dirty, and it lasts for ages. And you keep on thinking, Superman's going to turn up and save her, Superman's going to turn up and save her, and no, she's buried, <laughs> she's yeah, buried she's alive. To death. Yeah. yeah, that really scared me as a kid. Mm. And his answer, the only way that he can save her, is to fly around the world and turn back time and make everything better. Now, as a kid, I kind of thought, I talked about the magicalness of it. As a kid, that kind of just left me slightly more confused. (laughs) Which, again, it doesn't seem as clunky as it felt to me Mm -hmm. as a kid. I kind of go, well, Superman, um, you know, I've bought the conceit of a man wearing underpants outside his tights. I can, (laughs) I'm hardly in a position to start moaning about, about the world going backwards. But I remember as a kid, I I felt slightly cheated and I, did wonder why didn't he just save her why didn't they just write it in that he got there in time and saved her and then they just rebuilt everything back as it was before there is that comment isn't there from Jor-El at the start of the film where he says you can't interfere with human history which seems like a peculiar comment in in a way I wonder if the point they're trying to make is that he's violating sort of this code that's been sort of bestowed on him He's, he's really transgressing this one time because he loves Lois Lane so much for some reason it worked for me but on an intellectual level when Richard Donner has gone to so much trouble to try and you know you'll believe the man can fly to try and make this as grounded in reality as possible as as he could back in 1978 to then be like oh well if you fly around the world it goes backwards and then somehow that reverses time and why doesn't he do that all the time then it's a weird one but I think I'm so swept up in the characters in the film by that point I'm just kind of like I'll let you have this yeah I'm okay with it. I think that scene is important for the reason that you questioned, Simon, is this is the point where he makes a choice. Right. He flies up into the air, he does that enormous primal scream because Lois is dead, he flies up into the air, and then he does that gif that you always see on Twitter about the joke going over your head. He's looking around. He hears Jorel's voice saying, don't interfere, yeah. you can't do that. But he also hears Jonathan Kent's voice saying, yes. you've been put here for a reason, you can make a difference. And so this is the choice that he makes. He chooses to make a difference. It's almost like accepting the earthly advice rather than Jor-El's advice. But also, this is a story about a demigod who's Mm. come from another planet. If you can suspend your disbelief for that, then I'm okay with turning the world backwards by spinning around and round and round it really fast. And who's to say one of those little ice blocks that Jor-El gave him about learning? Because he taught him for 12 years about the universe. Who knows? Maybe he did teach him how to do it. We don't know. God, yeah, he's a, he's a big kid when he comes out of that ship and lands on Earth, isn't he? He is, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. At, least, at least four or five. A lot of bodily fluids being reabsorbed. <laughs> Beer growth style. And also, they do say as well, well, it is inferred that he's in the Fortress of Solitude learning yeah. for at least another ten years. He goes yeah. in there as Jeff East and comes out as yeah. Christopher Reeve. Yeah. So with all the learning that he gets in the spaceship that comes from Krypton and then Mm. in the Fortress of Solitude. I remember as I got older, I'm 
actually a philosophy student, mm. I remember thinking the Jor-El line, it is forbidden for you to interfere with human history. Every time he rescues somebody or every time he intervenes, you know, catches a bullet, gets a cat out of a tree or whatever, he is, by his very nature, intervening in human history as well. So I remember thinking this as a kid. He's got against what his alien dad has said to fulfil what his earthly dad has said. But has he squared that circle that if I'm here making a difference, I'm interfering with human history. I am now part of human history mm. itself. Max messages from Jor-El, though, isn't it? Yeah, just by flying, he's yeah. sort of defying natural, the natural laws of Earth anyway. So why not go the whole hog and turn back time? Well, he also says you, you should be the light to show them the way, and he sort of implies that you've... Precisely. You know. Yeah, but don't yeah, do anything. Yeah. And I think it was sort of mentally wrestling with problems like that, trying to bring it up with my friends, which made me such a lonely boy in there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, I know I know we're all watching the cup final, yeah. but what do you think about Superman intervening with human history? Yeah. Was this um, your dissertation? And, and, and have you read that book on Descartes that I loaned you yet? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he definitely gets a pass for that. Mm. Yeah. How do you feel, like, have your kids seen this one? No, but my elder one is going to, most definitely. We've seen some of the more recent ones. We saw one of the Spider-Man ones, and I showed her the Tim Burton Batman, and she was well on board with those. So I'm going to take her back a couple more years and show her this as well. I think she'd be well into it. Because it's interesting that this Superman really plays up the human element of him whereas the Zack Snyder Man of Steel focuses on the fact that he is an alien he is an extraterrestrial being who in many ways is a threat to Earth's way of life which I thought was an interesting take on it I'm it's not that I dislike the Zack Snyder Superman it's I just feel that after Christopher Nolan who obviously produced Man of Steel uh, had done such a good job of of rooting his Batman in a real world. I was excited to see how he was going to root Superman and the fact that Clark Kent is sort of erased and also the Smallville part of Superman. It would be so easy for all the kids who are in Clark Kent's class to go, oh, that's Clark Kent. He was he yeah. was exactly like that at school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just, um, I kind of feel that it, it's not a patch on, on the original. Does that come down to Zack Snyder just being such a dude, bro? I don't think he could countenance doing such a sort of a goofy, nerdish take on um, Clark Kent. I don't think he had the imagination almost to write Clark Kent like that. Yeah, Henry Cavill just sort of plays him as a studly, handsome, mm. GQ model who happens to wear spectacles, you know. Which... I think it really helped that Richard Donner was the director. Bearing yeah. in mind his previous film was The Omen, yeah. which if you kind of think about it, yeah. is a similar premise where you have <laughs> uh, yes. not, not a demigod, yeah. you have a devil yeah, yeah. who yeah. is masquerading as a human. Uh, very, very much so. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, and he's asking you to make those massive leaps of faith in a way to kind of if you can buy into the conceit of what that story is about then yeah that's really interesting actually perhaps gregory peck should play luther Ooh. gregory peck would have been a great jor-el as well wouldn't he yeah it would, it would have been brilliant yeah i remember again as a kid um i always tease my dad about this i got taken on a fishing trip by my dad and his mate the first thing they did when we got to scotland was um 
go down to the bar and to sort of send me up some room service and say we'll be back <laughs> we'll be back later just put yourself to bed I was really young and I was like oh cool I'm gonna watch some telly this film The Omen sounds like it might be fun <laughs> and I knew of Gregory Peck what did I see I think The Guns of Navarone mm. so I knew that he was a big time actor and I think that's what scared me most of all about The Omen I was thinking if this guy who's a massive Hollywood star is prepared to be in this it's probably true yeah <laughs> and when my dad came back slightly pissed I, he's like you're still awake I was like yeah yeah you know I'm just um, really scared <laughs> about the devil <laughs> but um well, but it's an interesting yeah. point you make Chris because I mean that film of course was about the antichrist and I mean this lays it on very thick the Christ allegory doesn't yes. it I mean even the, the missing sort of 10-12 years of where of course famously unaccounted for and then the new testament as well where christ goes off and experiences the world and hey check out the big bible brain on rob (laughs) 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 yeah no 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 yeah yeah i hadn't thought that that's true yeah his kind of off his 40 days and 40 nights Mm. and his learning and everything else yeah I mean, it's, it's riddled throughout the film, isn't it? I mean, even the first shot of um, Superman when he lands as, as a child, he's in a cruciform position when standing there with his arms out, outstretched when Ma and Pa mm. Kent find him. And mm, I I, there is one thing I did just want to mention on this Smallville sequence. Jeff East, he looks unnervingly like alleged sex cannibal army hammer. And <laughs> oh, yes. the scene where he's <laughs> sprinting beside the train Yes. Very creepy for that reason. The facial expression. All I could think of was Army Hammer about to bite one of his girlfriends or something. That scene, um, which you've now ruined for me, has always had um, the effects on the legs. Yeah. Superb. I, um, yeah. That music, again, the John Williams running from school music that he's got there is superb. Did you guys collect the bubblegum cards for Star Wars and Superman? I, I didn't. I, there were yeah. two sets of bubblegum cards which had a blue border and a red border. Whilst a lot of my friends were doing the football panini stickers, I was collecting those for Superman and Star Wars. The front of the card had a photograph of the scene from Superman, so it would have Superman in Metropolis or young Superman races the train, and then on the back it would have a little bit of information. And on the train were the the actor and actress who played Superman and Lois Lane in the TV series, and the little girl who sat with them who sees Jeff East running is supposed to be Lois Lane. Oh, wow. Okay. And on the bubblegum card, oh, wow. it says young Lois Lane sees sees Superman oh, running. Oh, that's interesting. Oh. He's a bit older than her then, isn't he? <laughs> yeah. We haven't talked about Margot Kidder, no. actually. And we should. She's almost too sad to talk yeah. about. Amazing, amazing actress. Obviously, a lot of the films that she'd done up until then wouldn't have been seen by uh, a nine-year-old. They would only be discovered later mm. by a 15, 16-year-old. <laughs> like, yeah, okay, get it. Yeah. But um, she's a great Lois. She really is. I love her portrayal of Lois Lane, and I don't think anybody's come that close. Definitely not Amy Adams in the Zack Snyder, and um, I can't even remember who played it in... Was, was it? it was Kate Bosworth. Kate yeah. Bosworth, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Um, Special mention to Terry Hatcher. She was, well, yes. She was a fine Lois. Yeah, wow. Terry Hatcher was, was pretty good, actually. Yeah. She's quite good in the TV series. Yeah. But Margot Kidder was just absolutely brilliant. And one and two... 
she's really good. She does the right amount of screaming and please rescue me as she does the ballsy thing. You really believe that she'd do anything she could to go and get a story. Yeah, yeah. She's utterly convincing as... Yeah, I love love her portrayal. Yeah, she's really, really, really good. And just, yeah, tragic sort of life she seemed to have sort of in later... Because she had quite a good career in that kind of mid-70s, early 80s. She did the Amateur Horror. She did did Black Christmas, the amazing slasher movie. She's in that. Brian De Palma's um, Sisters. Mm -hmm. um, Yes. She features quite heavily in... I think it's Easy Riders Raging Bulls. She features quite heavily as as an actress about town, if yeah. you like. Was she Goldie Horn's flat? I've read that book and I remember. Did she live with Goldie Horn for a bit? I think she lived she... with Amy Irving because right. they, they both were friends in inverted commas with Spielberg when he was an up and coming director, and of course he married Amy Irving. Um, but yeah, she she featured quite heavily as part of that scene. She's great in that. So is uh, Jackie Cooper as well as um, Perry White. Yeah. He's really good. The casting throughout the film is absolutely brilliant because of most of it, a lot of it was shot in England, wasn't it? It was it's shot Pinewood, in Pinewood. Yeah. And... Well, yeah, because they offered on the part of Zod to Christopher Lee and he just moved to the States, I think, as a tax exile and didn't want to go back to Britain to pay taxes. <laughs> so she turned down the role. Should pay his bloody taxes, shouldn't he, eh? <laughs> <laughs> and Terence Stamp said before that he wasn't completely convinced by the script, mm. but it was just the chance to work with Brando. That's why he wanted yeah. to do it. Yeah. Um, just to go back on the Brando thing, it's really interesting because I've seen that Christopher Reeve interview mm. on David Letterman where he is really disparaging okay. about Marlon Brando. And I didn't know for this chat today, I had a quick read of uh, Christopher Reeve's Wikipedia page and he was pretty much an acting prodigy I mean so entitled and you know his mum and dad were pretty rich he was educated at the best schools and he he was a classical actor with kind of all the breaks that could that he could possibly get you know even forging a great relationship with Catherine Hepburn she he was sort of she took him under her wing and everything else and you know he was a great actor when I say in title I don't mean it in a pejorative sense I mean Mm. it in the fact that this guy was just every opportunity he got he took and he was great in any audition he went for he would get because they could see that he had all this talent he delivers as we've said a spot-on performance as both Clark Kent and Superman and I find it interesting that he can't see what a great performance Marlon Brando mm. delivers. Because Marlon Brando's whole thing about mm. having words on paper, and he said this in interviews and also in his book, is he says, in real life, nothing's written down. Whatever comes out mm. of your mouth is the first mm. time you've thought about saying it. And he wanted that spontaneity as an mm. actor to not learn lines and to be able to have that idea of playing around with, this is just what I'm thinking as I'm saying it. So to imbue the words that he sees with some sort of emotion or gravitas seconds before they come out of his mouth is an amazing skill. It works for Brando not quite so well for Desmond Flewellen and The World Is Not Enough, but... um... (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, Desmond Desmond Llewellyn was 175. Big sausage hands. Desmond Llewellyn as uh, Jor-El going, 
Now, Carlisle, yeah. I want you to bring this back in, uh, in perfect <laughs> 12 years of training. <laughs> Pay attention, Carlisle. Okay, um, robot, Carlisle. That's my lunch, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of quite amazed that... A, there's always something weird about artists when they sort of denigrate another artist's work. Whether yeah. it's musicians, I kind of always get a bit peed off when rock stars have a pop at pop stars because they're both artists and yeah. and comedians do it. You know, if you like a really cool comedian like a Stuart Lee or a Bill Hicks, then what the hell are you doing kind of liking a... Lee Mack. Yeah. Michael com- McIntyre. You know, and News does it as well. We are Newsnight over here and how dare you have news around there. But the great thing about that stuff is you have degrees of it and people who deliver their art in different ways, that's what makes it interesting and that's what gives us the variety. And I... I wonder whether Christopher Reeve ever felt, whether he ever regretted saying that or if he was ever able Mm. to kind of look back at it and see it. Because I know that Brando is reading and I watched it knowing Mm. everything that I know, but I can't see him reading. And he gives those lines such a weight at the beginning, as we've said before, without going in a loop. What do you think of of that? Do you think it comes from a position of... Marlon Brando probably being an absolute pain in the arse to work with. So were they on set together? No, I don't think, I don't they, think were. they were. It almost smacks of him being sort of hurt by being insulted or something by Marlon Brando, doesn't it? As a, you know, not being taken seriously by him and therefore hitting back. But um, yeah, if they weren't even on set together, maybe yeah, maybe there was something going on there that caused it. Because I, when I saw that interview, I saw that sort of a few years ago, actually, and I, I kind of went, oh, Chris. Sullies it a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah so I was, thought you were a nice guy who wouldn't have said that. Maybe it's because, I mean, knowing what we know of Brando, I was about to say, knowing Brando, like <laughs> me and Marlon, yeah. <laughs> I was talking with Marlon. You saw him at the premiere, didn't you? I was talking, <laughs> yeah. It might have been the lawsuit. It, yes. It, it might have been the whole, the lawsuit and how that kind of... Sullied. Stalled, sullied things a bit. And so Chris Reeve was siding with the producers. and Yeah, here's a guy who's doing kind of four or five days work, getting five million quid and then suing for an extra... I mean, originally he slapped in a, a suit for 50 million. I mean, he walked yeah. away with 15 million. But love him or hate him, and I absolutely love Marlon Brando from, as I said earlier, the first time seeing him in that film, then I just kind of have always been in love with him, always looked at stuff online and everything else. Here was a guy who just said, people who fate actors and people who sort of go on about acting, it's just a profession, just like anything else. It's just like being a carpenter or a milkman or whatever, and if you are going to pay people this ridiculous amount of money because you think they're sort of special in some way, you're an idiot and I will charge you for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which yeah. again, you either go, ah, oh, what a hypocrite, or you go, what a dude. Yeah. <laughs> well, when the film makes three hundred million, I definitely think he's worth fifteen of that yes. three hundred. I think that's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I'll allow yeah. him that. So I have to say, it was brilliant once again. Going back and looking at the film, I. <laughs> I feel like I'm about to say, I don't know if you've seen that family guy where um, Brian is always psyched whenever he has to say the title of the film or whenever they say the title of the film whilst he's watching it. And he's like, yeah, I've seen that, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, um, but I'm about to do that, I have to say. Um, you ask, gentlemen, is Superman the movie still any good? And I have to say, it bloody well is. It's, um, it is still any good. That doesn't quite work. It is good still it is still good yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah this it's it's possibly the least 
suspenseful episode that we've ever had, actually, because I think it was pretty clear from about minute two that we all loved this. <laughs> yeah. So you're on board with that, yeah. Rob? You thought it yeah. was still good? Oh, totally on board. Yeah, I loved it. Of course, there are some slightly hokey elements. You know, I, I didn't love Lois Lane's kind of spoken word rhyming love poem. <laughs> she was she was supposed to sing it and, it and it didn't work, funnily enough. Strange that. Yeah, you know, I mean, there are times where I think, God, Soups, you're a little bit priggish here. Let her smoke if she wants. Or, <laughs> <you know? laughs> but I just thought it was great. The casting, Gene Hackman, so charismatic. He's one of those actors, isn't he, that not every film he made was amazing, but he was always amazing. Yep. Yes. Yeah, the one but I thought as it was approaching, this is going to be a bit wonky, the whole time travel bit, but I just was I was so fully on board by then. Yeah, I, I just thought it was brilliant. Even in this age, 40 years later, of Marvel Cinematic Universe and DC Expanded Universe, it still holds up. That magic that you're talking about, Simon, I actually think the MCU never has quite in any of their sort of 20-odd films quite managed to imbue their films with that magic. They're certainly entertaining, but, yeah, there's just something special quality about this that isn't there with their films. And um, Christopher Reeve, God. And I don't think we've probably spoken enough about Richard Donner. The direction is just superb throughout the whole film, and it's kind of sad that I guess he sort of ended up just doing really terrible Lethal Weapon sequels. But, yeah, no, wonderful amazing film i think yeah i'm not going to say anything different in my notes i did write the word perfect quite a lot yeah it it almost feels like the lyric sheet for fairground attraction i've written perfect so (laughs) many times (laughs) because i think this film almost is absolutely perfect Mm. i think the casting is spot on christopher reeve is amazing like we've all said Mm. no one has ever done what he's done before which is played as two completely different characters one pretending to be the other and just being totally distinct margot kidder amazing gene hackman of course brilliant marlon brando fantastic even the supporting characters in krypton people like trevor Mm. howard and harry andrews (laughs) as a kid didn't have a bloody clue who they were but Mm. it matters you know that they are like royalty you know that yeah. they're there for a reason. Susanna York, people like that. I mean, not watching it now, it makes more sense. But even then, you knew that they had some sort of grandness to them. The Smallville bit is just superb. You said it only went on for 20 minutes. I wanted it to go on for longer. Yes. I just thought it looked stunning. I can't say enough good things. John Williams' score, the best score. Mm. It's just so, so brilliant. If you compare it to the plethora, and I do love that word because I like the three amigos, if you, use, if you compare it to the plethora of superhero films out now, this is the gold standard. This is what they should be aspiring to. It's whatever it is, 44 years old, 43 years old. Mm. I don't think there's been anything better than this as far as superhero films go. I just think it's absolutely superb. It's quite telling, isn't it, that in 2006, when Brian Singer got to make his own Superman movie, he just did a retreat of this. Mm. Um, he was on to something, because when I sat in that theatre for Superman Returns and the music kicked in and it was John Williams' score and it was the same visuals, it really got me in, in the mood. Sadly, the rest of the movie didn't. He even but... got an actor who looked like Christopher Reeve. Yeah, he you did. Know, yeah. It, yeah. it was almost like a J.J. Abrams treatment, which is just like a photocopy yeah. of something that's been made before. I haven't seen the Zack Snyder ones. For whatever reason, they don't interest me. I haven't seen them, so I can't really compare. But I don't need to. This is as good as it gets. Yeah. 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 
I am conscious of time. Did we want to mention the sequel at all? Because I know that's quite an interesting story. I know you did watch it, Simon, in preparation for this. I guess the only thing that I would say that's really interesting is that the Salkinds had this reputation for making big-budget films and sort of falling out with their directors and actors and co-stars. I mean, Richard Lester came back to direct Superman 2, but he could only do that after he had settled a lawsuit with the Salcones about something they had done because he was directing the three in the four musketeers, musketeers. Wasn't it? yeah. yeah it's yeah. either a, called a Salkine clause or a spengler clause isn't it that yeah, yeah Salkine clause isn't it yeah. yeah yeah so the three musketeers and the four musketeers were shot at the same time but they didn't tell the actors it was going to be two films and mm. so the actors only got paid once and all of a sudden <laughs> the four musketeers came out and they're like well wait a minute we haven't been paid for that film and so they was trying to do the same with superman one and two and shoot them back to back but they were starting to fall out with Donna, and as a result, they stopped and just shot Superman 1, released that. Then they kicked Donna off the film and put Lester in his place, and they shot Superman 2. Interestingly, Superman 2, many would say, is the Empire Strikes Back to Superman the Mm -hmm. movies, Star Wars. It is really good. It is very good, actually. Donna has released a director's cut later kind of about 20 years later Richard Lester had to reshoot about 40% of the film so it is mm. a hodgepodge but it it works and there's a great story it's a strong story it's got good villains with um uh, Zod and Ursa and uh, Nod or Non or whatever he's called Non just yeah. like I prefer The Godfather to Godfather 2 I still think it's it's Marlon Brando in both those it's Marlon Brando that makes the first one better for me but Superman 2 is still a great film and it really does build on both the sets I mean the New York fight scene sorry the Metropolis fight scene set was all built on the James Bond stage at Pinewood absolutely amazing and again a great cast and everything else and it does feel you can watch one after the other and still feel that there hasn't been a drop in quality and there hasn't been a drop in in fun it's still a a fun film the less said about three and four kind of they're better Mm -hmm. they're different Mm -hmm. films it's not that four is a bad film three is not a bad film it's just a very very different film but um Mm -hmm. two i think if you i would watch that with my probably too old now but i would definitely watch one week superman the movie and then say come on let's watch the sequel because that's good fun as well and it draws on enough mythology that it sets up in the first one to make that work Mm -hmm. And of course, they end up using the um, the Brando footage that never made it into Superman 2. Um, Brian Singer ends up using that, doesn't he? In yes. Superman Returns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pays so. the Brando estate. God knows how much they must have paid him. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder it didn't make any money, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We can't really talk about Brian Singer these days anyways. Or Kevin Spacey. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's a whole other question. Does the art does the art survive? Does the art survive? Yeah. I think it does, yeah. doesn't I, I, it? I think it has to, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Picasso was an asshole too. Yeah. Yeah, you know. Mm. It has to. Okay, that was a very wonderful mm. conversation. Thank you mm. very much, Simon. That was great. Yeah, thank you, Simon. Always lovely to, to have you thank on. Thank you. Well, it's lovely to see you guys again. And yeah, always yeah. up for chatting anytime. It's good to see my friends in New Zealand. Always. Hooray. Hooray. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what are we doing next, Rob? Well, I think we've got another guest coming up, another guest spot. I think we do, yeah. So we're finally, after a few delays, I think next week we are finally going to be discussing Bugsy Malone with Australia's own Gidget Von LaRue. So we look forward to that. Fantastic. Yep. So we'll do our usual bit of housekeeping. If you want to get in touch with us, we're on Twitter at StillAnyGoodPod. Instagram, StillAnyGoodPod. We're also on Facebook. And if you want to email us, it's StillAnyGood at gmail.com. And if you ever feel like donating to the running costs of this podcast, you could always buy us a coffee. There's links on our Twitter feed. And um, anything that our lovely guest, Simon, that you want to plug or talk about before you go? No, if you're, if anybody out there is ever visiting London, I do have a website called kidrated.com, mm. which is a trip advisor by kids, and uh, kids have reviewed London attractions for other kids and families. So, um, yeah, always drop by that. But that's it. Uh, you can get me at slondonuk on Twitter and slondonuk on Instagram. Yeah. Brilliant. Excellent stuff. Uh, some very spicy takes on Twitter too that from Simon, which are yes. always good. Yes, always entertaining, <laughs> always good. <laughs> hey, once again, Simon, thank you so much. Thank you, guys. Always a Thanks, pleasure. Man. Great fun. And we will see everybody again very soon. Cheerio. See ya. Sorry, guys, someone's at the door. Sorry, I've just got to quickly... That's all right. That's all right. We can... We'll edit you back in. Don't you worry.